We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. Happy New Year. My name is Neve Chapman and I am the weekly host of the radio show and podcast, That's What I Call Science. But this week we're doing something a little bit different. So we've recorded some episodes with schools um, where young people get to take over the show. They interview a guest, they come up with what they're excited to talk about. Um, And I'm joined with Anna Abella, who's from Collegiate School. And we're going to talk about a little bit why this is like a cool thing to maybe do with students. So hey, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Anna, I wondered, um, you know, having started with the show, um, it's great that you're such a big supporter for now what you're doing in your role. But what do you why do you think like us reaching out in this way and giving young people a voice on the show is a good thing to do? Or like, what are your thoughts about it from the perspective of the school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our school uh, at St. Michael's Collegiate is an all-girls school um, from early learning all the way up to year 12. Um, and I suppose a big part of what we care about and um, I suppose a, a shared goal as well is that's what I call science is um, the encouragement of women in STEM fields, science, technology, engineering and math. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And it's kind of like an interesting double whammy with the way that we do the workshops because myself or somebody in the team goes out and talks to the students about communicating science I don't know if they always realize that we're actually scientists or working in STEM ourselves but then also they like get to interview somebody who's in that field directly and you know we don't say that has to be a woman um, or that the school students have to be women but how important do you think it is as a role model perspective but also then maybe giving the students a voice themselves in STEM like some authority in that space Absolutely. I think it's so important. I think often um, when they've just got what's in the classroom, you don't always realise that science is a part of everything, it's in everything, as well as what's actually happening down here in Tasmania. We have so many scientists um, and so many people doing amazing things. And I think it's really exciting for any student to be able to reach out and actually understand what is science and what it is to be working in these scientific fields or in these technology fields um, and really having that real world and greater understanding of what's going on around them. Yeah, that's awesome. So to finish up, as a school that's taken part now, what would you say to other schools that are thinking of maybe having that's what I call science come and so for background for some of our listeners, um, the students would need to do two preliminary short workshops. One would definitely be virtually where we talk to them about what their interests are in, in science or technology, engineering, or maths. Then myself and the co-host, we take that away and we find a guest based on those interests. Then in the second workshop, they would um, find out who the guest is and we'll plan the episode. And then in the third workshop, they will um, essentially interview the, the guest and do the whole show. Now for you, Anna, that was slightly different. We've changed that based on your feedback. But what do you think you would say to um, other schools who are maybe thinking about doing this? Um, I think it's a great opportunity for students to be able to have that real-world experience that you don't always get in the classroom or it even kind of closes a gap between the curriculum taught in schools and what's happening in the field at the moment. We're quite fortunate at Collegiate with our Innovative Futures Labs 
that we have the space to be able to bring the students in and out and, and have that extra support from teachers there. Yeah, that's I loved going into that like dedicated space. Um, and also, you know, we're pretty flexible. We have specialised equipment so that we can go out to all the schools. Um, so please do, you know, if you're interested after listening to the episode, let us know. Get in touch with us at That's What I Call Science or that's science at edgeradio.org.au. Um, and I will just do a final plug that we are curriculum aligned. So I really like that you said, you know, kind of bridges the gap between curriculum and reality. And we've worked really hard with the Department of Education. So shout out to Peter Wright um, to make sure that we are actually aligned to the curriculum we're developing and building on those schools that the, the skills that students are learning in the classroom so thank you very much to Anna Bella for helping me link up with students but also for taking the time to talk to me today anything final from you Anna? I think what was really great about having that's what I call clients in and, and talk with the girls is that they also had the, the experience with the different technologies um, I don't think the students have really been able to have that experience with the mixing desks and headphones on and it adds that other extra layer of public speaking or chatting away to the science and designing their own episodes. I think they had heaps of fun with that and and having that real world outreach that they wouldn't have probably had the opportunity to otherwise. We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. You have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science Youth Takeover, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings big science from the small island. The show is proudly recorded in Tasmania and supported by Edge Radio. I'd like to begin the show with an acknowledgement of country. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are all gathering today, the Palawa people. Today we are meeting across the Lutrita, Tasmania, Aboriginal land, sea and waterways online. On behalf of everyone, I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, as well as the Tasmanian Aboriginal community who continue to care for country. I recognise a history of truth which acknowledges the impacts of invasion and colonisation upon Aboriginal people resulting in the forcible removal from their lands. I stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language and history and a continued effort to fight for Aboriginal justice and rights, paving the way for a strong future. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're doing something a little bit different. So today we're doing the Youth Takeover, which is proudly supported by the CBF, the Community Broadcasting Foundation. They gave us a grant so that we could engage with young children, um, our young people in schools by delivering a workshop, getting them excited about science and getting them excited about broadcasting and giving them a voice directly to scientists. And the way that it works is that essentially we go to the school, we teach them a little bit about science communication we try and find out what they're passionate about and then we match them with an expert guest and the very next week we go back and the students take over the show and interview a guest ask them lots of questions grill them put them under the microscope if you want and it's a really exciting platform to provide the students with so if this is something that you're interested in maybe you're a teacher listening to the show or you know some students that would really benefit from it please do get in touch with us on any of our social media channels or via thatscience at edgeradio.org.au and we'd be happy to link up with you and any youth groups who might be interested in talking about science on your airwaves for now i'm going to hand you over to the wonderful students that have taken over the episode this week and let's hear what they wanted to talk about 
You're listening to That's What I Call Science, Youth Takeover, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings big science from the small island. The show is proudly recorded in Tasmania and supported by Edge Radio. My name is Isabella and I'm joined with Ruby and Allegra. Today we will be talking about microbes and diseases. We will be discussing this topic with Dr. John Bowman from the University of Tasmania. Dr. Bowman, what is a microbe and how is it different to an organism? So a microbe, first of all, is very small compared to, say, animals and plants. And so you have to use a microscope to see it. And so microbes can include bacteria and they also include things like protozoa and fungi and many other unicellular organisms. What do micro- microbes and organisms look like? Depends which ones you're talking about. So if you're talking about, say, bacteria, they just look like little, like little rod-shaped objects, like little oblong, sort of spherical-shaped objects under the microscope. And so they don't look, they don't seem to have much in the way of features. But if you're looking at, say, algae, for example, they, they can have quite interesting colours, like green and and other colours like that. Um, and you've got fungi, they have different shapes, so they can have, you know, they can be, have many different sorts of structures. Um, but to see these, you have to have a very powerful microscope. Um, they can come, in other words, if you just use a, a sort of a small microscope or one that's very simple, they don't look like there's much, they, they don't look very descriptive or very interesting. But if you actually look at very powerful, use a powerful microscope, you can see much more detail. It just depends which ones you're looking at too. Some are more interesting features than others. At the university, what do you research? So what do I research? I lead a centre called the Centre for Food Safety and Innovation. So we, we mainly research organisms um, that are related to food safety problems as well as food quality problems. So, for example, we've tried to help industry make food safer. So, for example, preventing the public from becoming, um, getting sick from eating food that might be contaminated. So we're trying to help industry ensure the food that they produce are safe, particularly when they're making new types of food. As well as, we're also, also doing research to try and add value and safety to new products produced in Tasmania. Do you work in a lab and what experiments do you do? So I do work in the laboratory, um, though I mainly have students who do the work. Um, People who work, um, I supervise. And we do many different sorts of experiments. So in my particular group, we mainly work with bacteria, though we sometimes also work with fungi. Um, We grow them in, in dishes. And we also do, um, for example, we can also look at their DNA and proteins to see what they do. And we also, we like to see how they grow, measure how they grow with different methods and also um, to develop um, basically sort of more sort of software and computer models to describe those sorts of things, to try to understand the microorganisms and their behaviour, particularly in food. You are listening to That's What I Call Science, Use Takeover, 
Stay tuned for more from Dr. Bowman. You're listening to That's What I Call Science Youth Takeover. I'm Ruby and I'm joined by Isabella and Allegra. Today we are talking about microbes and diseases. Our special guest is Dr John Bowman. What kind of unusual places do you find microbes? Unusual places? Well, you can find them everywhere, really. I mean, it doesn't matter. I suppose in terms of unusual places, we've been looking at um, microbes in, for example, in the gut of salmon, for example, Atlantic salmon, you know, grown in the farms. Um, we're working with uh, looking at bacteria and wombats and Antagy devils. So that's basically to do with um, research, which is examining, for example, the health of those animals. Um, also, we've had projects where we looked at seals. So seals on the coastal coastline of Tasmania, particularly seals that are trying to eat the salmon that are grown in the farms. So there's some unusual places we looked in, but in terms of Antarctic research, I've done Antarctic research, we've looked at um, looking at microbes found in, for example, around the coast in frozen ice, for example, in the soil and in lakes. So many different places. How do microbes survive so long in ice caps? So survival in ice caps. Um, basically, some bacteria are able to survive being frozen. So not all bacteria can do this. Some can. They can fall from the atmosphere in snow or rain and then they become frozen in the ice and then someone can then retrieve those bacteria some maybe hundreds of years later or you know even longer. But only a relatively small number of bacteria will survive in terms of um, living in the surviving in the ice cap. Are there any risks of from microbes being released? Is there any risk from them being released from the ice cap or ice? I would say extremely unlikely. This, the reason is, is because the organisms that cause disease in, in humans, for example, animals, are adapted to living in humans and, and animals. So basically living in warm environments with lots of nutrients. Organisms that can survive in the, sea ice, in the, in the ice, for example, are typically tend to be environmental. So they, they can float around in the atmosphere and the water, but they're harmless to humans and animals simply because they don't like growing at high temperature, like you know, body temperature. They only grow at low temperature. So that's extremely unlikely. There's also very low numbers as well that survive, so it's highly unlikely. And the same applies to viruses as well. Why are you looking at microbes in species and how do you do that? Okay, it's a very good question. What is the purpose of the research? That's what, so when we do research, we, need, we usually do it for a reason, you know, because we're trying to help. We're trying to do it for two different reasons. We're trying to find out something, find out some new information. Or secondly, we're also doing it because people want to be able to use the information for another reason. So when we're looking at food, for example, we're interested mainly in food safety and food quality because food is damaged by microorganisms or can be rendered unsafe. 
by specific microorganisms, such as E. coli or salmonella, listeria, those sorts of things. So we're basically trying to understand how well they grow in food and then all they survive. In some cases, they just die. Like we have the microbes in cheese, for example. Sometimes the cheese is very, very salty and um, or has very little water and the bacteria will just die. So we work out basically the processes of growth and death to be able to work out the information like in the form of a mathematical relationship or a risk analysis. We call it a risk analysis. So we can tell the producer how safe their product is and whether they have to change the way they make the food to make it safer, for example. Sometimes some foods are susceptible to food, to food safety problems. Um, also, we're interested in food quality because bacteria can also break down food and make them taste bad or bad, like particularly meat and those sorts of things. And so we're very interested in that sort of thing. Because Tasmania exports, as well as Australia, exports a lot of meat overseas. And um, so we're particularly interested in trying to protect the meat supply chain in terms of um, quality. So providing information to shippers and to retailers about, for example, how can we protect the food? Now, when we're working with other things like, say, Antarctic or animals, like, say, for example, seals or as devil or wombat, we're interested in various different specific things about them, um, about those environments, other, all those particular things, because it's not, we're not just looking at necessarily because we just want to see what's there. We're normally interested in some specific question. So, in, in terms of how we do this, we use many different methods. Um, it depends what sort of, what you want to do, but one of the popular methods is extracting DNA and sequencing that DNA to be able to work out what microbes are there because there's so many and also many we can't grow in the, in the laboratory. We can only, we basically use sequences, uh, DNA sequences to be able to work out what's there and also what they do too using other methods. So we have many, many methods that we can use to, to understand these things. Stick with us for part three. Ruby, Isabella, Allegra. And that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Allegra and I'm joined by Isabella and Ruby. Today our expert guest is Dr John Bowman and we're talking about microbes and diseases. What does this mean for our future? Is food safety and microbes likely to change? Potentially, yeah. Um, into, because you might remember that, and you might have seen in the news, Australia particularly has been having a lot more hot weather. So, you know, more heat waves and these sorts of things, and also drought. So how do we, if we have, if we have drought, where does the water come from for our crops? Does that do people have to use irrigation, for example, to to to, um, to grow crops in Tasmania, for example? So does that mean the, the water we use is going to be maybe poorer and poorer in quality, for example? So when you have when you have things like climate change, it can have sort of a 
ongoing effects. It can sort of like affect something, which then affects something else and then something else again down the line. So one possible problem with climate change is that water quality will be reduced because we have less water resources. And so when we, when we use the water for the crops, the crops may be contaminated by organisms that can cause food-borne um, disease. So that's an example. Um, it also might make other types of production systems more expensive. So, for example, making maybe um, having meat like red meat might be very, very costly. And so maybe people maybe eat more plant food. And because they eat more plant food, they are more potentially exposed to food safety problems if it's not dealt with. So, I mean, obviously there's also agriculture. So if we have agriculture, salmon and other types of fish that might be grown, like other types, maybe other types of, um, say, seafood, they have the potential of becoming diseased by bacteria and also viruses. That's not so much a food safety issue for, for us, but this is a problem for the industry in terms of um, agriculture. So there are many, many issues. I'm just giving you some examples, basically, where food safety can affect essentially the food system due to linkage with climate change because it comes down to resources and what we, we need to actually um, to use when we're actually doing it. It creates challenges. So in other words, for science and to try and come up with solutions, we will have um, many things to do in the future. How do you see your work being used in the future? We're hoping that um, what we do is actually going to be useful for industry. So our, basically our research um, is often done in collaboration or with working together with industry and government. So we're trying to develop methods and sort of information and knowledge which can be used by industry and by the, by the government and also by the public to improve, for example, food safety, food quality, and greater efficiency. So in other words, not wasting money and wasting food, for example. So one of the biggest problems with food is wasting the food. So, so a lot of the food that's produced in the field or like, for example, um, produced in a factory is often wasted. And so we are hoping to have new research in the next few years where we're going to be working with, say, for example, Woolworths to reduce food wastage. Um, and by doing that, we improve, hopefully, the, um, the livelihoods of people, be it the producers of the food, as well as those who sell it. Um, so that's basically what we're thinking, what we're in, where we're going in the future. How do you reduce food waste? So how do we reduce food waste? Well, first of all, we have to recognise why it's been wasted. So is it because the food gets damaged during shipping, for example? So if you've got bananas coming down from Queensland to Tasmania, you can actually damage the, tomato, the bananas, you know, physically damage them. So we have to come, we have to work out what actually is what's the wastage. So once we work out that, we come up with solutions to try to reduce the waste. So for example, we treat the fruit and vegetables more gently. Um, we try to sell fruit and vegetables in such a form that people will be more willing to buy them. So people don't like buying ugly looking fruit and vegetables. But people are now trying to sell them. You know, they actually taste exactly the same. They just don't look as nice. 
um, but they're still just as nutritious. So people's we're trying and this trying to change the attitude of the customer also will help um, reduce food waste. And if you do get food waste, then you can actually use that waste for something useful. Like you can use it for fertilizer. You can use it for generating energy by, um, for example, by converting the, um, the food waste into fuel. So, for example, uh, natural gas and those sorts of things. Or extracting chemicals from them, which tend to be used in things like cosmetics or other household products. So, there's lots of things we can do to try to reduce food waste or to repurpose it in some way that's useful and beneficial. Are the safest foods the most sustainable for the environment? Not necessarily, um, but it comes down to the agricultural system that's used to produce them. Um, so, for example, if you have vegetables, so people, for example, are growing vegetables in southeastern Tasmania, like for example, around Richmond and Cambridge areas. Um, those sorts of systems have to be managed, and like all agriculture, there's, you know, you have to actually put in fertilizer, and um, and you have to um, make sure the soil is working. You know, the soil still survives, you know, in terms of its being usefulness in, in its usefulness. So, in the end, I guess people try to do this the agriculture as as best as they can. That's basically the sustainability, but there's no correlation between sustainability and safety. It's it's more about the agricultural system and how well it's been managed. We've also got some fun questions for you. Um, what's your favourite food? Favourite food? Oh. Um, cheesecake. What's your favourite animal? Favourite animal? Whale. What's your favourite colour? Orange. What's your favourite sport like to play or watch? Hmm. Darts. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Science, the youth takeover. We've loved bringing you science-related content and hope you enjoyed the show. Like and subscribe to That's What I Call Science wherever you get your podcast and to help this team reach more people. Leave a review of your favourite episode. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.